0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Friday. This is our weekend podcast, which means that we are joined by Bill Crystal. who, by the way, by the way, first of all, uh, welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Charlie. Good to be with you, of course. I think I told you that, that your podcast, our podcast last weekend, broke every record we've ever had of Bulwark Podcast. I mean, not by a little, but by a lot. You know, so, people people need to get a life here. I don't know. I guess I guess
1: there's no, uh, you know, some of the college footballs all, isn't uh, a lot of college football teams aren't playing or something. But I'm uh, that's very nice. And look, the bulwark's done great, and uh, your podcast has done great, and your newsletter. This is obviously the last that's becoming uh, reserved to bulwark plus subscribers. Beginning next week, right? And people need to, a lot of people, a ton of people have signed up, but if, uh, we, everyone else needs to sign up today or over the weekend for Bulwark Plus.
0: Right. And I, I want to explain what, what we're doing here. We, we don't have ads. We don't have those annoying pop-ups. Um, we don't want to put the, the main site behind the paywall. We are not owned by a billionaire philanthropist. So we really do rely on the kindness of strangers and really savvy um, and very, very loyal readers. So we really appreciate the support because uh, we want to expand. We want to continue this fight. Uh, it is not going to end with the election. It's going to be going on for a long time, and, and we're going to be there. Okay, so, Bill, uh, before we talk about the state of the race, which I want to talk about, and I want to talk about uh, Ben Sass breaking bad on Donald Trump, we have to talk about what happened last night, this bizarre dueling town hall format, in case people have already forgotten why this happened. It's because Donald Trump refused to participate in a virtual debate. So he bailed on the debate and NBC decided to give him one hour of airtime uh, while Joe Biden had an hour and a half over on ABC. A lot of things happen. But let's start off with these two moments, which I, you know, I, I still find extraordinary. Savannah Guthrie, who came out of the box and asked some aggressive questions asked the President of the United States, gave him really an easy opportunity to distance himself from this bizarre, crazy QAnon conspiracy, and this is how it
2: went. While we're denouncing, let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring, and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true and disavow QAnon in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia. They fight it very hard, but I know nothing about they believe it. it is if a you'd satanic like me to run by the deep study states. the subject, I'll tell you what I do know about. I know about Antifa and I know about the radical left and I know how violent they are and how vicious they are. And I know how they're burning down cities run by Democrats, not run Republican by Republicans. Republican Senator-
0: yeah, so we, we've seen this before, haven't we, Bill? The whole, uh, he'll throw out sort of a, yeah, I, I don't really know anything about them. And then he circles back and he embraces one of their key tenants, which is their, the, the whole pedophilia thing. And I mean, we ought to mention this is not just, you know, crazy Looney Tune stuff. This, this, this is dangerous. And th- there have been acts of violence and the law enforcement has warned against it. And, Here's the president of the United States who gave an answer that had to exceed the wildest, craziest dreams of QAnon folks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gives them such incredibly more credit than they deserve. I mean, they deserve none. But you know that they, well—they're against pedophilia. Well, as if they're like, well, they're a bunch of activists. They're concerned about what is, of course, a terrible thing—pedophilia. What it happens. Yeah. Uh, they're concerned about it. Maybe they got a little overboard. But you know, they're kind of good-hearted citizens. That's the tone of Trump's. He hasn't really know much about them because he never listens to a briefing, I guess, from his own Department of Homeland Security that warns about them and other. Groups like them, which have been responsible for acts of violence and more, maybe even almost more important, responsible for a kind of crazed conspiracy mongering that really is dangerous for the country. I mean, that, that for me, I was talking, I just an interview with a foreign journalist and, you know, it always is worth doing that occasionally because it makes you, since they don't follow things closely, it makes you step back a little bit and try to have perspective on what's most disturbing about the current moment. And she was asking about all the obvious things, intelligent questions of Mm -hmm. polarization, divisiveness. And I guess I hit upon this, and I think this is right. I don't know if you agree that it's the conspiracy mongering, though, that's so crazy. I mean, you can have a pretty polarized society. You could have people not really liking each other much or liking other groups much, but it can still be within the bounds of just still normal, if somewhat harsh and unpleasant politics it's the conspiracy mongering that just takes you off the deep end because there's no falsifiability, everything because there's no truth. It's all, you know, everything that you think you see, you don't see. And so the chances for a demagogue in a country where people are consumed by a belief in conspiracies, and when that demagogue himself being president of the United States seems to legitimate some of these conspiracies, that's just a whole different level of sort of decadence, I would say, and uh, potential for for civil disorder. And, and that's what we saw last night.
0: Yeah. I mean, in in part, it's what Hannah Arendt talked about the annihilation of truth that at a certain point, it's not getting you to believe one thing or another. It's to make you question your critical capacity to actually know what is true. Okay. Believe it or not, the QAnon section was not the worst part. So Savannah Guthrie then goes on to ask Trump about the, this retweet of this bizarre conspiracy theory about SEAL Team 6. I mean, this is one of the most uh, toxic things out there, and people are shocked that, that at, at this stage of the campaign that the president would, would want to be anywhere close to this, and obvi- it's annoyed the living members of SEAL Team 6, but this is how this went
2: left just this week you retweeted to your 87 million followers a conspiracy theory that joe biden orchestrated to have seal team six the navy seal Team six killed to cover up the the fake death of bin laden now why would you send a lot like that to your followers you retweeted that was a retweet that was a an opinion of somebody and that was a retweet I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. Get that. You're I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle no, who no, can just retweet no, no. whatever. That was a retweet, and I do a lot of retweets. And frankly, because the media is so fake and so corrupt, if I didn't have social media, I don't call it Twitter, I call it social media, I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the word? Word is, the word is. False. And you know what the word is? The word is very simple. We're building our country stronger and better than it's ever been before. Wait, wait, that's wait, what's wait. happening, and everybody knows
0: it. Okay, whoa, okay, well, I mean, you know, I, Bill, I, I asked in my newsletter this morning, I mean, at this late date, do we really need a national debate about why it is so profoundly abnormal for the president of the United States to use his position to peddle toxic conspiracy theories? I mean, do we really need... Have a discussion that you know about why the excuse. I'm just going to put it out there so people can make up their minds. Is is reckless and dangerous? I mean, this is. I just talk about flooding you're, the zone.
1: You're, you're kind of speechless, and I am too. Yeah. I think it, it really does your point that you just made a few minutes ago, though. Really, that in a way, Trump confirmed it. I mean, very much. It's it's trying to get beyond truth. Beyond Savannah Guthrie tried to say, "Hey, that's false," though you know. And it's, it's not as if it's cost-free to just put out there when you're president of the United States toxic and crazed conspiracy theories because more people believe them. Some people will act on them. Minimally, it just destroys any kind of civic trust that, you know, the, I mean, think about, I mean, it's not even worth talking about, but just for 30 seconds, this would assume that I suppose huge numbers of people in the military down to the operator level of, you know, SEAL Team 6 and all the way up through the Joint Chiefs of Staff had purposely, and the President of the United States had colluded on some insane uh, you know, set of falsehoods and, and allowed Americans to be killed, to be killed, to cover something up for what? For Obama and Biden and, and, and Benghazi's related to it. I mean, it's so crazy. But, and of course, most of Trump's uh, followers, I suppose, don't believe it literally, but what do they believe? Well, they believe that that kind of thing could be possible because you know what? There's just a huge amount of uh, colluding and conspiracy out there and it just obliterates any real incidentally. I mean, so when there's real collusion, like when Rudy Giuliani, we know, has met repeatedly with someone we know is a Russian agent and may well have gotten this ludicrous hunter biden thing from that person we can't have an intelligent discussion about that because it's hey it's all who knows and it's all craziness and anyway trump's the guy who's fighting for us so i I do think the hannah Arendt quote is really apt and other comments like that Havel, i think goes on about this at some Mm -hmm. length about it goes on isn't fair writes eloquently about this at some length you know about the obliteration of truth it's too hard to persuade people sometimes of an actual lie uh, that's hard to stick to sometimes but but you really can t- kind of c- destroy democratic politics really i don't mean to overstate this no but I, I think damage very badly democratic politics by this kind of uh uh you know just the uh, promotion of, of of crazed conspiracy theories it's no accident i suppose also that it it trashes the american military of course it trashes our intelligence agencies you know all these other institutions where if you paid attention to them you would see that serious people in those institutions think Donald Trump is doing damage to them.
0: Well, and on this particular one where, you know, the Joe Biden orchestrated the the, the killing of, of SEAL Team Six and all of this stuff. Look, uh, Donald Trump himself doesn't believe it. I don't right. think he believes it. But, and, and he just sort of throws it out, just throws, you know, throwing stuff up against the wall. And I I don't even think that he thinks that his supporters will believe it. It's just sort of like, we're just going to throw out this chaff, this confusion, and then we'll move on to something else. So we just simply create this sort of, of chaos so that people will at some point be conditioned to think anything is possible. Nothing is true, but anything is possible. And that's also sort of Hannah Arendt, that moment where you have this sort of maximum disorientation. Hey, by the way, you, you made the reference to the Rudy Giuliani thing. I mean, here we, we're in the midst of watching a Russian disinformation campaign in real time, running through the president's personal lawyer, who is apparently using the folks at the New York Post to sort of launder all of this. And Last night, the Washington Post reported that U.S. intelligence agencies warned the White House last year that Rudy was the target of an influence operation by Russian intelligence. And the warnings were based on multiple sources, including intercepted communications that showed that Giuliani was interacting with people tied to Russian intelligence during a December 2019 trip to the Ukraine, where he was gathering information that he thought would smear Joe Biden. And the intelligence raised concerns that Giuliani was being used to feed Russian misinformation to the president. He was warned about it and just brushed it off. That's just Rudy. So, Bill, here's another thing. This is happening in real time. The Russian disinformation campaign, the collusion with the Russians and the complicity not just of the president, but of much of the conservative media.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, think of that just back in December when we knew that Rudy was in Ukraine. He made no secret about it. I think he did like, you know, interviews from there. I mean, think about that for a minute, just just that part of it. The president's personal lawyer is in is in a foreign country uh, dealing with not actually the, the reputable government of that country, but with Russian agents in that country. Um, uh, and that we just took that, you know. Well, that, no one said anything about that, really. And he comes back and he talks to the president in the White House and stuff. That's just unimaginable, really, in the past, and that uh, is is now routine. And of course, now we're seeing what the sort of payoff is i mean it's fortunate that it's so ridiculous the story about the laptop and so forth that it has no i mean there's so many levels of ridiculousness to it like biden actually didn't help the person whom we were supposed to have helped he wanted to get rid of the corrupt yeah. prosecutor vice president biden whatever under biden's you know slightly you know unseemly mm-hmm. uh, uh salary or or, or Compensation was for being part of some uh, company over there. It had no effect on U.S. policy. But anyway, now we have this. Uh, I take it fake laptop, you know, with that the Giuliani's discovered from some, you know, mall in Delaware. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And uh, I mean, you think about the old conspiracies, and uh, this is, it is a new level though, and it's bad. I mean, we shouldn't minimize it. And the idea that we have to spend time on it, and that a lot of people believe that, as you say, hey, it's an interesting point you make. I mean, it's it's not that Trump Trump certainly doesn't believe any of it. Certainly I don't think Trump believes any of it. He doesn't really think his supporters believe most of it. right. But it does it does throw an incredible amount of chaff in the air and make it hard to know what's what and what's true it certainly helps trump get away with things so so you know everything's just an allegation and when someone says wait a second mr president that's not correct what you've just said well what about the problem of russian disinformation that's a serious problem nah that's all just charges and countercharges and so forth so it fits in very much with the demagogues playbook to have this kind of uh, confusion and chaos
0: but also it's rewriting the rules, and I'm, I'm continually amazed by the willingness of folks to set themselves on fire, their reputations on fire on, on behalf of this guy. But, but there was once a time where if you were a journalist and you speculated that Bill, uh, Bill Crystal, for example, had murdered children on his last trip to Ireland or something like that, and this turned out to be completely untrue, that your career would be over, that that would be a disqualifying... Uh, career-ending thing because, you know, why would you put out something that was so clearly defamatory? And now it feels like it's almost routine coming from the President of the United States that he suggests that Joe Scarborough murdered somebody, that Joe Biden murdered somebody, the Hillary murdered people thing, you you know, became sort of like, you know, same old, same old. And yet, you know, nobody's, you know, you know th- that that whole mechanism of complete disgrace is gone and, and i think that's one of the accomplishments it's going to be one of the legacies of donald trump
1: no that's very well said and i would add one point i mean i i used to not quite believe this but i've really come around on this uh our colleague our friend elizabeth newman who uh, served as assistant secretary for counterterrorism in in the homeland security department for president trump uh voted for trump in 2016 reluctantly but Uh, and has now obviously come joined us at Republican Voters Against Trump and done some very eloquent uh, videos and interviews about why she just can't continue to support him. One of her points is that their studies, and they followed this obviously at the Department of Homeland Security, is that the uh, people out there do get encouraged to take matters into their own hands to consider violent acts by a president who routinely ascribes murder Uh, and other violent acts to his opponents i used to think well that's probably a step too far i mean trump's confusing everyone but is he really inciting genuine violence but now we've had the plot against governor whitmer and studies that i've discussed with elizabeth that really do show look it's a huge country and unfortunately there's some pretty unstable and angry people out there and once the president says my opponents are engaged in murder Well, what's the right answer? And and the system isn't doing anything about it. And the Justice Department and CIA are covering it up. What's the right, what's a citizen to do? And so you can see how people do get, and they're responsible for their own actions, but you can see how they get induced to think, well, maybe we need to take things into our own hands. So I think this rise of white supremacist violence is related, you know, to what Trump has been saying.
0: Well, and it's not theoretical, as you point out. In fact, we actually have those guys uh, who were talking about kidnapping and possibly murdering. Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. We know this. We know that people who have been uh, infected with the QAnon conspiracy have gone out and committed crimes, have shot and killed people. This is happening in real time. So, you know, when we're throwing out all of this chaff, why do why do you throw out why does someone throw out chaff? Because they're trying to distract you from something else. So, uh, the, you know, it, that's my question at the moment that we're we're sort of following that which i think is legitimate i mean following that particular squirrel but yesterday the united states surpassed sixty-four thousand new coronavirus infections for the very first time since late july we are still seeing a thousand americans dying while the president is out essentially proclaiming nothing to worry about uh, there's a cure uh people are not dying from all of this uh continuing to downplay the, the need for social distancing and, and masks. I mean, that is a huge story. We are going into what might be a, a third peak. And you mentioned um, Republican voters against Trump and what uh, Elizabeth Newman said. Do you remember when Miles Taylor, who was also a top official in the Department of Homeland Security, cut a video for for Arbat in which he talked about a moment in which the president was threatening to withhold emergency aid from California? Because because he didn't like their politics because they didn't support him. Well, just yesterday, the administration denied California's request for uh, a disaster declaration for these massive wildfires. So what Miles Taylor said the president was threatening to do actually happened yesterday and that it's barely registering yeah it's
1: amazing I remember when I was in government, I don't think it's changed much. these disaster declarations were pretty routine yeah the Governor asked for them to deal with a, you know a real natural disaster hurricane wildfires et cetera uh and the fact that the administration is denying it is pretty astonishing he, he doesn't think he'll carry California and I guess he thinks he can posture as kind of a tough guy not giving any wasting any money on those blue states you know and those feckless citizens who I guess have uh, uh, asked for it by having these terrible wildfires so that's that's really uh you're right i mean it everything everything everyone who's serving the administration has warned about turned out to be true and it's a little worse than even we thought I, I keep coming back to that i've talked to now many people have left the administration over the three and a half years um and obviously what they say in private is different from what they say in public i, I mean obviously I, I don't know why it's obvious they should say it in public but anyway it is different and I always ask them, you know, hey, look, if I were there, and I, this was a little more, two years ago or so, when it was a little less clear, if I were there, would I be a little reassured? Would I, would I think, you know, it sounds kind of wacky on the surface, but deep down the system is kind of working. And Trump, when you really get him in the Oval Office, is is willing to be more serious despite all the posturing, he's a showman and so forth. Or or would I not be reassured? And I've got to say every single one of them, and this ranges from the very highest level people who have left to mid-level people, has said, no, you would not be reassured. It's quite the opposite. It's worse than you think. And I really think that's become very clear, especially with Miles and Elizabeth and Olivia Troy. I mean, they've said things that, uh, you know, they were in the meetings, they dealt with the president, especially Miles and Olivia, Elizabeth saw the consequences of it as assistant secretary. And, you know, everything that we worried about was worth worrying about. And to come back to a theme we've discussed before, but just can't be mentioned enough. I mean, some of the guardrails that were there originally, many of them, unfortunately, had gone. They, they didn't do a great job guarding in the first couple of years, but they did stop him from doing a lot of things. Uh, they're mostly gone. He's now got compliant uh, operatives and sycophants in key places. It's getting worse. A second term would be much, much, much worse. And that's the urgency people sometimes say, you know, what are you so upset about? And come on, and this country's a strong country. And, you know, I mean, people. No, I agree. The degree of, uh, to which it's really a danger, a clear and present danger, uh, is really striking. It's 2016, you could talk yourself into thinking, I didn't, you didn't, but mm-hmm. I think others could, that, you know, he'll grow in an office and the Republican Party will stand up to him and the internal guardrails will work. You can't believe that. About a second term with Donald Trump?
0: Well, a second term, uh, I think he's v- would be very likely to fire the FBI director and l- look for an attorney general who's even more compliant than right. Bill Barr. I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, all of the adults are gone. Okay, so speaking about adults, let's talk about Ben Sass for a minute. Okay, the Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, who was uh, a very strong Trump critic up until uh, last year, when he had to make a choice, uh, he was running for re-election. He didn't want a primary. And so he, he whatever the deal he cut with uh, with Donald Trump, he got the endorsement from Donald Trump. And from September of 2019 till now, he's maintained almost complete radio silence. And and, and now there's this report about uh his uh, his comments in a call to constituents. And I'll read some of what he said here. The debate is not going to be Ben Sass, Why were you so mean to Donald Trump? It's going to be what the heck were any of us thinking that selling a TV-obsessed, narcissistic individual to the American people was a good idea. We're staring down the barrel of a blue tsunami. The way, And then he goes on. The way he kisses dictators' butts. I mean, the way he ignores the Uyghurs, our literal concentration camps in China. Right now, he hasn't lifted a finger on behalf of the Hong Kongers. The United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women, spends like a drunken sailor. The ways I've criticized President Obama for that kind of spending, I've criticized President Trump for as well. He mocks evangelicals behind closed doors. His family has treated the presidency like a business opportunity. He's flirted with white supremacists. So so now, Ben Sass tells us. Bill Crystal thoughts?
1: Ne- nevertheless, he supports him for re-election. Yeah. I mean, I don't give people much credit. Yeah, for me, years. that's the core line you know people can have all kinds of they don't have to have been for impeachment they could think somehow it was better not to remove a president who'd been elected the in a re-election year they can make a lot of other judgments on particular things where i had strong views but they had slightly different interpretations of things maybe they were doing some good by keeping good relations even with the white house the end of the day though Either you think you should be reelected or you don't. And if you're a public official, you have some obligation to share your views on that. And almost all of them have. And Ben Sass is, I believe, uh, for re-elect- the reelection of Donald Trump. And you know, so you can say whatever you want on some call with donors or constituents, and you can try to position yourself for 2024 as the guy who kind of went along with Trump, but ultimately really couldn't put up with it. And he'll get credit. That's the lane he's trying to fill. Others are fulfilling their other lanes in the post-Trump Republican Party. But it, for me, if you're for the reelection, I mean, I I don't have much much regard much regard for that.
0: So there's a lot of speculation about whether Sass himself was responsible for this leak. That he's kind of trying to position himself for the post-Trump era and figuring that he's got to do it now, he can't wait until afterwards? I, I don't know the answer to that.
1: Sounds right. I mean, it was in the Washington Examiner, which has always had oh. close relations with SAS and Sass and Sass's team. And uh, could I think, and he certainly hasn't, you know, criticized. the way If something were leaked that you didn't want leaked, you would criticize someone for leaking it. or uh, But he hasn't, uh, to my knowledge.
0: Okay, so uh, other uh, disappointing people. Um, this could Susan, be a very
1: long podcast here. I know. I, I know.
0: I just, I just have a, a short list here. So I see that the president is attacking Susan Collins on Twitter this morning, um, saying that there's this terrible rumor she might vote against uh, Amy Coney Barrett, um, and and just sort of dissing her, which which seems to be throwing her under the bus in terms of her reelection, um, as well as jeopardizing her support for the Supreme Court nomination, but this is one of those those things about susan collins whatever she does it's probably not going to be enough to save her at least that's my my sense
1: yeah it looks that way and i mean i think the republican senators are in a you know they're they will lose some trump supporters if they now turn against trump but right. they're not going to win over people who think as i do frankly that you know what it's we need to have uh, just as we needed a democratic house in 2018 and uh, we did, I think, to at least begin to check Trump and they're, they're, they did do some good in that. I think uh, we probably now turns out we need a Democratic Senate to at least clear out the notion that you can get away with this kind of behavior and be rewarded for it. And so I'm worried about, you know, Biden in a Democratic Senate. I have a lot of friends who were so oh, we've got to keep the Senate because mm-hmm. Biden will go crazy. The good news is and I, let me let me segue into this point, which I think yeah. not made enough, frankly, Um a, I mean, if there's a Democratic senator, it'll be 51 or 52 or 53 Democrats, which will include John Hickenlooper and, you know, uh, and Joe Manchin, and Colorado, Bennett, and Manchin. I mean, many people who are not going to go along with socialism or with the crazy, craziest ideas of the left, quite the contrary. What's amazing to me is our system has gotten so polarized, though, that there are businessmen and Republican donors, you and I know, in the old t- t- olden times... They would have somewhat opportunistically, but still uh, decided. You know what? Democrats are probably going to win the Senate. I'd sort of like to have some influence, maybe on. Some of these pieces of legislation, I think I could help make today, let's say a liberal tax plan better. There's a kind of intelligent version, you might say, less harmful version of a, a tax hike on the wealthy. And then there you know, are versions that would do damage to economic growth. And so, you know what, I'd like to be able to pick up the phone and talk to John Hickenlooper about that or Chris Coons or, you know, many others. And so I'm going to, or, you know, let's help Bullock in Montana. He was a pretty conservative governor of that state as a Democrat. And that way we can have a better Democratic Party controlling the Senate. We're so polarized that the donors I've talked to don't even think that way. Mitch McConnell calls and they write another check to, you know, we got to keep a Republican Senate. It's so silly and short-sighted, in my opinion i really and it's so contrary to the traditions of american politics the traditional criticism of american politics remember is that all these businessmen play both sides of the aisle and they just you know make sure that they're okay and they don't care about ideas it's really the opposite now they everyone's become such an ideological uh and polarized uh, uh, you know participant that you don't have some of the normal checks so i honestly i think the democratic party much to my relief, is not as far left as people feared it might be, as we all feared it might be six months ago. Biden deserves a lot of credit for that. Some of these challengers winning would be helpful, you know, in moderate states, obviously, if you're going to be the Democratic senator from Montana or Iowa or Georgia, you're not going to be exactly like a Democratic senator from Massachusetts uh, um, or, or, you know, other states like that. So it, it, uh, but, but, but the system is not working in the sense that people just aren't, uh i don't know the, the polarization is it, it has really now we're not paying a very bad price for it the good news is i think the democratic party some of these moderates are going to win and that will actually help balance out i think some of the you know, left-wing forces in the democratic
0: Party. no that, that's right i mean there are there are a number i mean you kirsten know, cinema is i think a A number of people how moderate she is i the reason i agree with this this point about the you know the kind of the burn it all down, is, is when you think through all of the off ramps that all of the Republican senators had for, for Trump and, and how many of them they, they passed up. I mean, I, this is an old theme at this point. But I, you know, I was reading through a lot of these reports about uh, these, these stories about how Republican senators finally um, are distancing themselves from Trump, or that now it's okay to, to diss him. There's almost no evidence that, with the exception of SAS, that they're really doing that. They, they can't. It is just too late for them to do it because they have swallowed so much. They're, they provide no check on him whatsoever. They have gone along with one policy after another. So, you know, at at some point you have to break this. You have to break that pattern. You have to raise the cost of this. Um, If we're ever going to move past Trumpism, you cannot reward the people who rationalized it or fell silent or even destroyed the institution of the Senate's role. And I think that's, again, and I've talked about this before, probably one of the most shocking things is United States senators essentially... Uh, surrendering the the prerogatives and the power and the role of the Senate of Congress itself to check this this president because they could have stood up at least for just a certain institutional jealousy institutional pride and yet they haven't so Mitch McConnell has done a lot of things but he's also presided over the decline of the U S Senate and where Congress itself as a coequal branch of government.
1: No, absolutely. It's funny. I did this, I think I mentioned earlier, an interview with a uh, a foreign journalist. She would happen to be from from the Czech Republic, from Prague. I participated in a yeah. conference there and she wanted to follow up with some questions. Participated by Zoom. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have yeah. I been in Prague in yeah. 25 years. It would have been great to visit. But and that's why I originally thought, hey, great, a conference in Prague. They've invited me. And of course, like everything else <laughs> yeah. in the last six, eight months. It's, uh, it's It was a pleasant Zoom experience from my desk here in, in Northern Virginia. But um, you know, we were talking about it and she, we were talking about Havel a little bit, who had been the inspiration of this particular conference. And, um, you know, I was thinking about, I don't know this that well, but in, in the Central European nations, Eastern European nations, the Warsaw Pact, you know, nations, it was very, there was a moment there and I was in government at this time in late 89, early 90 even. When it was like, maybe we can just leave the reform communists in power, the kind of people, not the people who were part of, really part of Brezhnev's Warsaw Pact, but the people who had sort of said they wanted to reform kind of, but who had been basically, you know, communist apparatchiks for the last 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years in some cases. And really almost every country said, no, we can't do that. We need to have a clean break. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to then spend the next five years persecuting everyone who was a mid-level bureaucrat or even an upper-level one, honestly, in the communist regimes. And a lot of these countries, I think, probably prudently from a practical point of view, let these people come back into public life. There wasn't, a, you know, some different countries went in different ways on this, but generally speaking, there weren't massive purges of everything. And I guess I would have the same attitude towards the Republican Party. I mean, I'm not for getting rid of everyone who's, you know, ever you know, said anything nice about Trump or worked with him or or voted even with him in the Senate or the House or or staffers in the administration. But I do think you need a clean break after November 3rd Uh, to at least establish that, no, that is not the future. That cannot be the future. It's not for the sake of punishing people in the past. It's for the sake of having a healthy party in the future. I'm not sure how possible that is. I want to make clear I'm not wildly optimistic about that, but but it would be good for the country if we had one, and the only way to do that is a clean break, I think.
0: Well, let's talk about uh, November 3rd. Uh, We are uh, 18 days away, which, as I mentioned to Kim Whaley on the podcast yesterday, is kind of a misnomer because today is Election Day. You know, yesterday's election day. Tomorrow is election day. The way things are going right now, but give me your sense of the state of play right now. I'm looking at the five uh, uh, five thirty eight. Is it five? I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm having one of my Alzheimer's moments. Is it five twenty eight? Five thirty eight. Yeah, five thirty eight. Okay, okay. Five five thirty eight. I have too many numbers that are in yeah, front of right. But the five thirty eight average, which gives a Biden an eighty seven percent chance to win, the Real Clear Politics average. He is up uh, between nine and ten points. Um, there's, you know, people are expecting that the race will tighten, but it hasn't happened so far. Um, historically, um, Biden's lead has been incredibly stable, and it's much bigger than Hillary's, and much more stable than Hillary's four years ago. But so, give me your your gut sense of where we are at, you know, about two weeks out from the the deadline here.
1: Yeah, you're right. The election is going on, and the turnout is is crazy. I was Amazing. and I went to vote. Yeah, we we got our absentee ballot. We thought, given the postal service issues, we'll just drop it in the box at the local government center, which is just a couple of miles away here in Northern Virginia. We drove over yesterday afternoon to do that. It was so backed up. And this is again mostly not even some people are actually voting there. You know what I mean, filling yeah. out the ballot. But a lot of people just wanted to drop something off. Uh, it was so backed up. You couldn't park in the parking lot. We figured if we'll come back in a couple of days. You know, I think yesterday may have been the first or second days. So there was, you know, people pent up demand, so to speak. The turnout is off the charts, which is good, which is healthy for the country. And people complain about lack of, lack of civic participation. I think with the one word you use that's most important and sort of interpreting where we are is stable. You know, it'd be one thing if we had a race that was bouncing around, And Trump uh, was down 10 or 11 in one poll, but up three in another. And, you know, there was obvious volatility and a ton of undecided voters were lukewarmly affiliated voters, a lot of unhappiness with both. And therefore, you could go either way. That was kind of 2016. There were polls that were as strong, uh, as bad for Trump as this, but there were other polls that were even. And there were a ton of voters, really 15%, I would say at this point, who didn't like either candidate. And it seemed like they could go either way. They broke overwhelmingly for Trump at the end. The 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 people who who were negative on both candidates. Now we're at five seven percent undecided. It looks like Biden's own positive numbers are pretty good, and kind of mirroring his vote share right now. And so it's a little hard to see what's going to disrupt the race or jostle it in a big big way, as happened in twenty may have happened in twenty sixteen. I mean, she was also Hillary Clinton was never as far ahead as as Biden in any average of the polls, though she was ahead in individual polls. So if you have a race that's been plus six most of the time for a year, went down to three or four when there was a bit of a rally to the flag phenomenon in what about March, April, I'd say early May, went back up to six. It's now crept up to about nine, let's say, over the last couple of months as people have focused a little more and some of the undecideds have begun to break. Uh, and against the incumbent, as you'd sort of expect they might with a, in a recession and with a, such mismanagement of the pandemic and Trump looking so crazy, um it feels like it really is an eight or nine point raise, ten point possibly, and little hard you could see some reversion back to, you know a point or two for Trump near the end, but three, four, but not seven or eight so i it feels like it's pretty good for Biden. yeah, uh, I do worry about actual voter turnout and 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 the votes getting counted. I worry about this kind of hunter biden thing you know this turned out to be a pretty ineffectual i'd say dirty trick and disinformation but obviously trump is capable of doing much more of that and getting others in the government to do more for him so you know what if this had been a report from the director of national intelligence or a leak from the director of national intelligence instead of a silly article in the new york post it would have had more credibility people would have had to cover it but they might have been able to do a better job of making it seem authentic you know so i worry about um good news is i don't think the people in the cia and other places would would do any of that but even ratcliffe saying it even bill Barr speculating about uh, vote fraud has does do some damage so i i remain nervous because trump controls the federal government i remain nervous because uh, the republican party is basically all it's doing that i can see in most states is bringing lawsuits to try to make it harder for people to vote and all that republican governors are doing is putting into place policies to try to make it harder for people to vote. It's pretty unbelievable to have one of your two major parties basically dedicated to, to, to suppressing the vote here in the last three weeks. But that seems to be what the Republicans are all about.
0: And it's remarkably unsubtle. And, and this is something that that Kim Willie and I talked about yesterday. It does feel as if this has generated a massive backlash that people are watching this, they're seeing this and they played their, they played their hand too, too early because I mean, what you saw in Georgia uh, you know, people are really going to come out, you know, despite all of these concerns about the balloting. I mean, people have a plan. Um, they are focused. So I do think that this might be blowing up in their face because this is the one place you don't want to be in American politics where, you know, be the party that wants to make it really hard for people to vote. That makes it very, very clear that you want to suppress the vote. I mean, it's one thing to be sort of subtle about it. There's no subtlety about it at all. It's so blatant. And I think that people see that they see through it, and I think they're reacting to it. So, uh, I, I very much agree with that. I mean, it's one thing in the past it was like,
1: well, you should have the driver's license or not, and yeah, I think that was a reasonable fine. debate. Yeah. I mean, not crazy to ask people to show a driver's license when they vote or some form of of, of ID um and you know maybe the intention was to make it harder for some democrats to vote but it was at least on the surface a kind of plausible thing other countries make you show id and so forth now with the shutting down of like in texas also as in georgia of of alternate voting sites and stuff uh, with the transparent attempts to discredit vote by mail and, and in a way lay the groundwork for possibly trying to stop counting of, of such votes uh, after election night. Um, you do see a real, as you say, a transparent attempt. I think there has been a backlash in Texas uh, and in Georgia. Maybe there'll be in other states. A friend of mine, I think I tweeted this, a friend of mine, a longtime friend, very serious person, conservative, served at high levels of government, not very political, more of a government type, you know, policy type Said to me, tweeted, uh, tweeted, he emailed me uh, late yesterday after some reading one of these stories that, you know, he'd been a Republican a long, long time, but the, the, he did not sign up for a party that would um, pass on Russian disinformation, Russian edge prop, yeah. I think he called it, on the one hand and try to suppress the votes of Americans on the other. I mean, that's really kind of become the core, the core uh, essence of the Republican Party here now, two and a half weeks before Election Day.
0: It, It, it is not a good look. Um, Okay so I saw you had an interesting tweet the other day about uh, Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch is now uh, is reportedly predicting a Biden landslide. This is a story from the Daily Beast saying that he thinks that Trump is going to get blown out. Uh interestingly enough, doesn't appear to be much pushback if that story is true or questionable. You would expect that the Murdochs have, you know, many many ways of trying to discredit it and they are not. But here you have somebody if 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 Rupert Murdoch thinks that Trump is going It's interesting, but it doesn't appear to have affected the editorial policy of a newspaper he owns, the New York Post, which is, in fact, um, you know, turning itself into a into a clearinghouse for for Russian agit props. So give give me your thoughts on 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 Rupert Murdoch realizing um, that uh, Trump is is on the way out. Well, he's an intelligent man, and uh, you know, they, he owned the Weekly
1: Standard for 14 years. was a good owner. We had editorial independence, and we always had a. He was very courteous personally, and uh, you know, went to conferences he put on, and so forth, and enjoyed it. I've got to say, it's one thing. Again, I, I, I feel bad criticizing him in a way, because I, I guess I we owe him. I mean, we lost money a little bit, so you know, he kept it going, uh, and then he sold it eventually to Phil Anschutz. But I feel that also about the early years of Fox News. There was some good stuff. There was a little bit of wacky stuff, but it was a lot of good stuff on Fox News then. And I was on the Sunday show with Britt Brit Hume and Ron Williams and Merrilly and I Tony Slate Tony Snow and I thought we did okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I so I feel sort of bad criticizing Rupert, but I, I've got to say I don't. Again, you don't get much credit, I don't think, for uh, now deciding two and a half weeks out, oh, it looks likely to lose, and therefore I'm going to be a little critical. When you're still uh, owning the the, Washington, the New York Post and publishing this nonsense, and owning Fox News, having Fox News be part of the corporation you're chair of, and uh letting Tucker Carlson go on these, you know, white uh, nativist rants. So I, I, I don't, um you know, it's and incidentally with as with SaaS. It's usually framed and we're going to get clobbered. You know, this is terrible. Not this yeah. is terrible because it's very bad for the United States of America. This is terrible because the Democrats might win the presidency and the Senate. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, if you can't step up and say something about the country, you don't get credit for being suddenly noticing that the polls show that Democrats are going to win the presidency and are likely to win the Senate.
0: Well, and and, and, the, and the New York Post again the New York Post doesn't do this without checking from above I I, I am really going to be interested when all of this has has filtered out uh, t- to figure out how that story even got published in the first place and I'm and I know this may be unfair but the the journalist whose byline appears on on this story is a, is a young woman who uh, let's say her journalistic credentials are a little bit sketchy she used to work for Sean Hannity and I'm looking on social media um at at you know her her pictures of herself with roger stone and with steve bannon yeah i don't think i think she's and not I mean, written the
1: <laughs> previous pieces right i mean so i haven't followed it that closely so i don't want to
0: she's not good. woodward and bernstein is what i'm trying to say here
1: yeah no i think it's a total setup i mean and 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 I look and again i think people at the new york post should be held accountable for this and there are people in between rupert murdoch and this and yeah. the young woman, the the editor and the managing editor and all kinds of people who just went ahead and did this. And I here's where I don't know, obviously you don't want to go around persecuting and you know finding everyone who did something bad. But on the other hand, there has to be some accountability, I think.
0: Well, in journalism, and I, I mentioned this, this earlier, I mean there was a time in which you know you did certain things and it would be career-ending. And certainly if the story turns out to be as bogus as I think it's going to turn out to be. There should be consequences for the editors that that gave it the green light. I mean, this is the kind of thing that that if you put your name on something, this obviously ought to have ramifications. So we we will see. So when we're talking about the state of the race. And obviously, you have to mention the state by state polls. And of course, we're doing the white knuckle polling. Um, very close races in places like uh, like like Florida, Florida. Um, But also, it's really hard to find really good news for Donald Trump. The fact that he has to defend Georgia, which he should be winning easily, he has to defend Iowa, which he won by nine points. Looks like Wisconsin is out of reach, Michigan is out of reach. Uh, Solid leads for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you play around with those interactive 270 maps. Do you do that sort of thing? Sure. Who doesn't? I. It becomes very, very difficult for Donald Trump to to win this election if he loses Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona. Actually, it becomes impossible for him to win. Arizona could be a, a, a tipping point state if he surprised people there. But th- th- this map is I mean, for him to win this election at this point, And I, I know that I, I said roughly the same thing four years ago, but this is the ultimate drawing to an inside straight. This is like drawing to an inside royal, you know. Yeah, I'd put it I flashy. mean I think that's a good I mean yeah. I put
1: it this way. I do think four years ago, I mean I thought that I said on TV like week before the election there was a one in four chance Trump would win. I thought it was uh, unlikely, but it was like drawing to an inside straight, which is less than one in four, but is not a totally something that never happens, you know? Um the uh what is it? Like one in thirteen, I suppose, something yeah. like that, if if the other cards are evenly distributed. Um, you know Now you really need something more like, I don't know, kicking over the table and, you know, just you you need to really change the whole national dynamic. He can't do it by, you know, finding a clever little thing that would help him by two points in Michigan or one point in Wisconsin anymore. He needs to change the, because he's behind by, it looks like, five to seven points in the three, at least in the three upper Midwestern states that he that he won last time one of which he needs to win and he also seems to be behind pretty handily in arizona and probably trailing by a bit in florida so and ohio for that matter is very close north carolina he's trailing by a bit so you know he needs something to change the national dynamics which does it can't just be as i say you know a particular exploitation of a particular you know a lot of turnout in northern wisconsin so the turnout could help him and stuff but it, something big would have to happen i yeah. i don't and i so far it hasn't but you know we're as you say, white knuckles and, and two and a half weeks.
0: Well, you use the phrase that has actually been in the back of my mind: that that if, if you're Donald Trump and you're looking at this, you do kick over the table. You know, you're playing the game; you just, you just scatter everything. And he's capable of doing that. That would be his instinct. Uh, whether he's able to pull it off, I don't know, and I don't know what it would be for him to try to do that. Um, but that's that's why this this next two weeks is going to be, well, it's going to be lit. Bill Crystal, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast A- again. Uh, we always appreciate it. We're looking for the same my kind friend, of numbers this weekend. And thank you for listening to the Bulwark podcast today. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday and we will do this all over again.